Alea, scripture text for this afternoon is a Psalm 3. So we continue to work through the Psalter. Psalm 3. It's on page 552 and 3 in the Pew Bible. Either just listen or read along to this portion of God's Word. This is Psalm 3. The Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Uh, as we work our way through the Psalter, we come to, to uh, this psalm, which is, as we'll uh, note in a moment, uh, an example of a lament. Um, and, and so it's, it's another reminder of the value of, of singing of the psalms, and singing through the Psalter, because this is the kind of, uh, of song that we often need to have in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, we pray uh, and, uh, and sing these uh, when uh, we're going through hard times or uh, believers are being rejected by the world, as uh, Doug pointed out this morning, uh, and to go through great difficulty, that there are these portions of God's word uh, that, uh, that allow us to, to know that, that this is not unusual uh, for the believer to go through and that we can bring these things to the Lord who cares for us. And so there's a, there's a blessing to be, uh, to be had in, in sharing this lament as we uh, review it and sing it together uh, to the Lord. And we begin first with lamenting over a growing number of enemies in verses 1 and 2. Uh, the superscription tells us that this is a psalm of David, and uh, we're even told specifically of what event moved David to write it under the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told that that is when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, this event is recorded in 2 Samuel 17, which we, uh, which we looked at uh, not too long ago. Uh, you may recall that Absalom had risen up and had taken the throne in Jerusalem and declared himself king and forced David to run for his life. David left in the night, heading toward safety, heading east toward the Jordan River. And this psalm is apparently inspired by David's thoughts and feelings the morning after his leaving Jerusalem. Uh, it's unclear whether he wrote it that day while on the run or if he wrote it soon after recalling how that, how that day felt. It is a psalm uh, categorized as an individual lament uh, that is a cry to God for help while in a hard or or discouraging situation, and there are several psalms that fall under that category. Yet it also has at least brief elements of a psalm of trust, uh, where David is secure in the Lord's hands, and elements of imprecation, uh, that is, 
uh, God's curse or punishment prayed to come upon wicked people. And so we begin with verses 1 and 2 where David laments over the growing number of enemies who are rising up against him. He cries out to the Lord. Uh, that's in all capitals in English. So it's Yahweh, uh, the eternal and covenant-keeping I Am. Uh, David cries out in concern over the number of people who are now opposing him. Uh, David uses the Hebrew word we translate many uh, three times in these first two verses. My adversaries are many. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying. And so David is clearly uh, thinking and, and distressed about the number of people that are uh, up against him now. Uh, you may recall from our time in Second Samuel that Absalom had worked for years to gain popular support, uh, and now he has gained that and has many people fighting for him, many others supporting him. And so David is now on the run. Notice that they not only oppose David, but they mock him, uh, saying there is no deliverance for him in God. And so they, they are sure that, that uh, God has rejected David. God will not take care of him. He has replaced him with Absalom, and God will not rescue you may recall uh, that this comes to, to light in several ways from Second Samuel. In, in chapter 16, Saul's relative Shimei accursed David. And uh, we read this in Second Samuel 16. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Others uh, who were less harsh uh, shared the idea that God had rejected David as king and had thrown their support behind his son Absalom. And there are many, as David emphasizes, that oppose and clearly that's hard for David. It's, it's hard to be opposed. And he has a love for the people. And yet they have rejected him and his rule. Now, we've not been kings. At least I don't think any of us has. But we likely know the experience of having people or circumstances turn against us and feeling overwhelmed. Yet here is a reminder that when such times come, we can cry out to the Lord and know that he cares for you and that he hears you. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis writes, Verse 2 shows how subtle our despair may be. It may come more from the enemy's words than from their weapons. What does one then do? What did David do? He's telling Yahweh about it. The very God who his enemies say wants nothing to do with him is the one to whom David cries. And so they may say God is done with you, but David knows better. He knows the Lord, and he brings all of his cares and concerns to the Lord. And he knows that the Lord is sovereign over all things. And so there is encouragement here for us to do the, thing, the same thing, to bring our concerns to our Lord and God when we are overwhelmed. Second, confidence in the Lord in 3 through 6. 
And here David finds comfort and strength in recalling God's promises. David places his confidence in the Lord, who is compared to a shield uh, that protects him from the weapons of his enemies. David also notes how the Lord is my glory and the one who lifts my head. Uh, Glory refers to the honor and praise that's due to God for his majesty and his awesome nature as God. He is worthy of praise. So David places his confidence in the person and in the power of God who is far greater than even many people who oppose him. David finds his worth and his esteem in God. Notice as well that the Lord lifts up David's head. We can picture David physically and emotionally having his head down in sadness and in discouragement as he leaves Jerusalem and flees for his life with his own son leading a rebellion against him and many, many people rejecting him and supporting Absalom instead. But the Lord is the one, David says, who lifts my head. That is, that the Lord brings encouragement and hope and comfort in David's time of need. He lifts David's head and enables him to see God's promises and God's presence with him and encourages him in his confidence in the Lord. In verse 4, David knows that even as he leaves Jerusalem under sad and dangerous circumstances, that the Lord still hears him. Second Samuel 15 and 30 says, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went, and his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. And so this is truly a sad situation, and he is despairing. And yet our verse 4 reminds us that even so, he writes, I was crying out to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Uh, The holy mountain, of course, is Mount Zion, in which the altar stands to make atonement and where the temple will be built. And David directs his prayers to the Lord, knowing that he would answer because of the relationship that he has with the Lord and that the Lord did answer. In, in, uh, in Psalm 20, verses 1 and 2, we read, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. As a New Covenant believers, we pray to the same God, but we pray now in Jesus' name. As Jesus is King and Mediator, he is the Lord of Zion. And so we pray knowing that Jesus, our Mediator, makes our prayers heard and, uh, and that the Father hears and answers. Then in verses 5 and 6, David shows his trust in the Lord and the peace he's enabled him to have in a difficult and pressured situation. David writes, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. Now lying down to sleep shows that David has an inner peace and a quietness and a confidence in God's ability to help and protect him. Resting in the promises and in the presence of And in the purpose of of the Lord in his life gives him spiritual peace, 
which leads to physical peace that he's able to sleep. And then David awoke. A reminder uh, that the Lord gave him life one more day. Uh, The Lord gives life as a gift and it is due to the fact that the Lord sustains him. He doesn't take it for granted that he woke up the next day. The Lord sustains. Uh, And uh, that, that Hebrew word there can also be translated preserves or upholds. The Lord sustains him physically in his life, but he also sustains him here spiritually. As David writes in Psalm 138, On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. So that's the kind of encouragement the Lord is giving. Then in verse 6, David takes this peace that God gives by having him live one more day and waking up, and he applies it to the future. He says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. We should note that David slept and woke up, but that's just one day. <laughs> and he's still in this awful situation, and he's still on, his, on, on the run from his son. His trouble is far from over. But David is given peace in the midst of that, one day at a time, and with the trusting view of the future that God holds in his hand. Adele Ralph Davis again comments, the definitive relief had not yet come. David does, David does not have peace from turmoil, but peace in it. David then, if the peace that the Lord gives, will not fear, even if the number of enemies opposing him is very large. The the 10,000 men he gives as a figure. But really the odds don't matter when God is at work. And David knew what God had promised. He had this promise from 2 Samuel 7 and 11. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares that the Lord will make a house for you. Uh, David trusts in the God of promises. Even though things are not going well, he knows God has made this promise and he trusts in him to fulfill it. And so there's a reminder here that we can trust in God and his promises to us in his word when we are facing uh, difficult circumstances. He has said, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. And there are all kinds of similar promises that we can claim in our lives when we face difficult times and know that he will keep those promises. Well, third, asking for rescue and expressing hope in verses 7 and 8. David concludes the psalm by asking the Lord to save, uh, to deliver him from his enemies. Uh, David's words here are similar to Moses' words in Numbers 10 and 35. Uh, Then it came about when the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee, f- hate you flee before you. Uh, Moses prayed that the Lord would, would move the enemies out of the way uh, as his people advanced. David's enemies do not think God is able to rescue him or wants to rescue him. But David knows differently. And so he calls on God to save him and to act. 
Notice again the personal connection that David enjoys in his salvation. God is my God, he says, that they are in relationship by God's grace, and so he makes this appeal. Then notice the request for the Lord to strike David's enemies on the cheek. In fact, strike them so hard that their teeth break. Uh, These people are indeed wicked, and they're rebelling against God as much as they are rebelling against David, for David is the anointed king. And so David asks for the Lord to stop them in their wicked acts and to bring appropriate judgment on them. Striking them this way is also a form of insult and humiliation and leaves them, uh, there seems to be with a figurative uh, call here, that they would be left toothless. That is both physically and literally in this image. But, of course, this is just a picture. It's an image of what David asked for. Please stop these evil people. Now, some people struggle with these portions of the Psalms and of the Scriptures, but there's really no need to. David is not expressing personal vengeance. He's asking for the Lord to take vengeance and asking for rescue from these violent men who seek his life unjustly. Again, Adele Ralph Davis writes, If David is going to be saved in this situation, then God will have to bring down those who oppose his chosen king. There can be no safety for David unless his enemies are eliminated. And sadly, that is how the world often works. And it's not wrong for David or for us to pray such prayers. As our our friend Martin Luther writes, we should pray that our enemies be converted and become our friends. And if not, that their doing and designing be bound to fail and have no success, and that their persons perish rather than the gospel and the kingdom of Christ, and that God oppose them, stop them, and end their harm of others. We also know that in Jesus Christ, we have the ultimate victory over all of his and our enemies. We're reminded of Jesus' rule in 1 Corinthians 15. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. That Jesus is ruling and reigning as king on the throne of David and from the Father's right hand. He is advancing his kingdom. And he is putting all of his and our enemies under his feet for our good. We're reminded in Ephesians 1, God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so as individuals, we can certainly entrust our souls uh, to Jesus Christ, no matter the difficulty that he allows in his providence to come our way. We know that we are eternally secure in him. Jesus tells us in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, 
and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We're also reminded that the church will advance and will not be eliminated. Jesus says in Matthew 16 and 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And he says in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and, and uh, preach the gospel to all, the, or disciple all the nations and baptize the nations. And so the church will prevail and Christ will prevail and his enemies will fall sooner or later. We're reminded in 2 Thessalonians 1, this is a, a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy for the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And so there will be judgment for those who refuse, uh, refuse the, the gospel, those who are outside of Christ, and those especially who persecute his people if they do not come to faith and repentance. In verse 8, David closes with praise and he closes with hope. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And David acknowledges that salvation and rescue can come only from God and that it's in his hands. But notice that David's prayer for rescue is not for himself alone. Rather, he knows that the victory that the Lord grants for the anointed king will be a blessing to all of God's covenant people. And so the blessing of God by, will come by way of his establishing the anointed king in his rule. In application of this, it's helpful to note that David's suffering is also a picture of the suffering of his promised greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a great help in remembering that Jesus himself was rejected by many. And Jesus is written of in, in, in Isaiah 53, where we're told, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. And so even as David was rejected by many, how much more was Jesus rejected by many and put to death by those who, who opposed him? And so in Jesus, we have one who can fully sympathize with us when we are rejected, when we deal with difficulties, when we deal with opposition. And so by his suffering and by his sacrifice, we who are in him are not only reconciled to God, but have a savior and a mediator who understands what it is like uh, to be attacked or betrayed or persecuted for the sake of Christ. Rather, uh, we expect it and we have a Savior who will be with us 
through it all. Jesus himself says in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. And when that happens, if that happens, we have the sure promise of God's love and presence with us and the comfort of his providential purposes in, his, in it all. As Paul writes in Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are being considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And so because of Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection, believers can face trials and tribulations in security and in trust. Uh, no matter what happens, he has secured our eternal lives and he is working out his perfect plan in our lives. And we can have peace in dealing with persecution and difficulties. And we'll close with this quotation from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is uh, number 26. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you praise you for this portion of your word and ask that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, we do thank you for the ability that we have in these portions of your word to sing to you when in distress. And so we pray that, uh, that you would encourage us when we face opposition, uh, be that from ungodly men or, or simply the great difficulty of living in a, fall, living in a fallen world. Uh, we pray that you would encourage us and and bless us as we, as we dwell on the promises of your word that you are always with us and that you are working out your purposes in our lives and that uh, even in adversity, uh, you are with us and love us. We thank you and praise you for this portion of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.